Yes, indeed. Friends, if you'll remain standing and turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. If you're using the Bible in the seat back in front of you, it's on either page 858 or 982. If you've been with us over the summer, you know that we've been going through the book of 1 Peter uh, since early June. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this extended authority passage that Peter gives us beginning in the middle of uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. And last week, we began a two-part dialogue talking about the, the prescription that God gives for husbands and wives. What does it look like for uh, believers to faithfully live out their marriages? Uh, last week we uh, t- looked at what God said to the wives. And what we said was that this week we were going to look at what God said to husbands. Now I wasn't exactly sure how many husbands would show up this week. Uh, whether they would have something better to do or whether their wives would say, no, you're absolutely coming to church this week. I bet we have a little bit of both. Uh, But this morning we're going to be looking at what God has to say to husbands. Just one verse, uh, but it's uh, full of quite a bit. So uh, please draw your attention to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7. Hear now the word of God. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So ends the reading of God's Word. And what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Indeed, God, this is your Word. And so we ask that you would speak to us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you teach us, rebuke us, correct us, and instruct us that we might give you the glory that you deserve. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. What kind of man may marry my daughter? That's a question that every man who has daughters asks at one point. And as his daughters become teenagers or college age, that question becomes even more urgent. And so we begin to make our lists or we uh, go and we find some books or blogs that might help us with that list. And and we formulate those things that are really important for us. Uh, He needs to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, no doubt. Um, He needs to have a good job so that he can provide for my daughter. He needs to be a leader, one who will lead in the home. But he needs to be one that is compassionate and tender, and loving, and patient, and kind, and never harsh, never harsh with my daughter. He needs to love her, as we just read from Ephesians 5. It would be great if he loved her as Christ loves the church. But even if he doesn't do all those things all the time, at, at a minimum, at a minimum, he needs to love her at least as much as I have loved her. Well, friends, we know, we, we know how to do that if we have daughters. It, it becomes natural and automatic. But so often it's hard for us to take that question and turn it back on ourselves and think about what kind of husband we are with the woman that the Lord has given us. For every, every wife that we have is the daughter of someone. 
whether, regardless of her relationship with her earthly father, she is the daughter of our heavenly father who loves her and has loved her before the foundation of the world. And he loves her with a tender and compassionate love. And I think that's what the heart of what is going on in this passage is that we see the heart of our God who loves our wives tenderly, telling us that we need to love them We need to love our wives with that same tender and compassionate love with which he loves them. Now, the the context of this passage, as I recently mentioned, is in this extended authority passage where it begins in chapter 2, verse 13 and following, where he's talking about uh, the various forms of authority that we place ourselves under. Uh, in, in, In verse 13, it's talking about how all of us are under the authority of the governing Authorities, And then in verse 18 of chapter 2, he talks about slaves with masters in the midst of the workplace. And last week in chapter 3, we talked about husbands and wives and how wives are to be subject to their husbands. But this passage today is unique because it is the first and only time that Peter actually speaks to those who are in authority. In this point, it is talking to the husbands. And what's interesting about that is for the first and only time, God gives us a glimpse into the heart of what he has for those who are in authority, how they ought to exercise the authority that he has established. Namely, how ought husbands to love their wives? And he, what he shows us is that he desires for men to love their wives with a tenderness and a compassion and an understanding like what he has for our wives himself. So he begins, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, uh, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so your prayers may not be hindered. This is a, a, a condensed and comp- compact statement, so let's, let's break it down little by little. He begins, likewise, husbands, live with your wives. Live with your wives. Now, that phrase, live with your wives, could mean lots of different things to us. Uh, In the Greek, it literally, uh, it's a compound word, one word that essentially means dwell with. So it's, uh, what he's talking about is that husbands have a responsibility to be physically present with, to, to dwell under the same roof as, to, to, to be in the presence of their wives. It should be plain to us, but it's not always. Uh, the focus of a husband needs to be with his wife, not necessarily with his work or necessarily with his friends, but he must dwell with, be with his wife. But he continues, he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, depending upon the translation of God's Word that you have, it may say something like uh, what I just said, live with your wives in an understanding way, or B, live with your wives in a considerate way, or with understanding. Uh, Literally, in the Greek, the, the, the phrase that Peter uses is, according to understanding. According to understanding. Uh, Husbands are to live with their wives according to understanding. So what he's saying is that we have this obligation to know our wives. To know them and to understand them. To pursue a knowledge of them that is profound, that grows day after day, year after year. We continue to grow in them. What, what, are, what is our wife's likes and her dislikes? What are her strengths? 
What are her weaknesses? What are her spiritual gifts? How can she serve the body? What are the, the idols of her heart that she is easily entangled with? How does she properly reflect the beauty and the majesty of Christ? And in what ways is she entangled in sin and needs our intervention to speak into her life, to point her to Christ? When we're first dating or even first married with our wives, this this comes easy with us. When we're in that infatuation and honeymoon stage, everything's everything's awesome. Everything's interesting. We we keep asking questions. Every, Every new expression of her face is wonderful. Every bit of information is is fascinating. Uh, you know, every everything that she she shares with us that we get to know, it's it's exhilarating. But as the relationship grows and matures, then we start to rest on the knowledge that we already have. We we start making assumptions that we know this person and and we know how they're going to react, and we get we get lazy, and and yet. If we think about it, this this woman that the Lord has put with us is a woman that's created in the image of the infinite God. And so we could spend a hundred thousand lifetimes plumbing the depths of who this woman is and all that she thinks and yet never reach the bottom of that. And, And that's if she never changed. And yet... And yet we're, all of us are constantly in motion, constantly living new experiences, constantly being sanctified, either growing in a knowledge, growing closer to Christ-likeness, or moving away from the Lord and growing more hardened in our life. And so there's always more to learn. And this is, this is important for us to take a step back, men, and, and think about this because so often we get so fo- focused and so bogged down in the things that the Lord has called us to do in our lives that we forget to take notice of this beautiful woman that the Lord has put us with. We forget to ask those questions. We forget to pursue. And the Lord is calling us to live with understanding of this woman, to grow in understanding. And while he doesn't use this language specifically, what, what Peter's calling us to do is to shepherd our wives as the good shepherd shepherds us. Because Christ shepherds us with knowledge. He is with us. He has promised to never leave us or forsake us. He will always be there with us. And if you remember, Jesus said this. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. And they follow me. He knows, Christ knows us perfectly. He knows that we are but dust. He knows our frame, as it says in Psalm 103. And so we are called to that same knowledge. We are called to, to, to live out that, that act of shepherding of our, of our wives. How can, we, how can we love them without truly knowing them? How can we, we're called to be providers. How can we provide for them without knowing what it is that they truly need? How can we protect them without knowing what are their, their, their fears, their anxieties? And how can we know them without listening? Sometimes it's just hard for us to just sit and listen. Sometimes we need to 
calm ourselves and we need to focus and we need to listen to our wives. But he doesn't stop there. He says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. In the Greek, it's a little more compact. He says, live with your wives according to understanding as the weaker vessel. Um, so in essence, what I think Peter is saying is that there is a, there's an aspect of our knowledge which has to do with this concept of our wives being the weaker vessel. So in what way are they the weaker vessel? Um, well, clearly what, part of what Peter has in play has to do with physically weaker physical size and physical strength. It, it doesn't take uh, much observation to recognize that that is the way that the Lord has made men and women. But secondarily, there's in, within the context of this authority passage, there's an aspect of weaker as far as being the, 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 the one who is in a position of vulnerability. If you remember what we talked about uh, last week uh, with this, these three passages of um, authority where it was the, the exiles and then the slaves and then the wives. These were the ones that were marginalized in Peter's day. These were the ones that were in a compromised situation that were called to submit to their uh, various authorities. And, and Peter upholds that even in the marriage relationship. And so there's an, there's an aspect of Peter telling husbands, recognize the fact that your wives are in this uh, this vulnerable situation where they are called to submit to you. And so live in understanding of that aspect. Um, there's, there's mutual respect and there is mutual submission and yet there is still a disparity with the roles. Men are still called to lead, lovingly lead their wives. Um, and, and wives are still called to submit and follow their husbands. Um, and so there, there's those two aspects, the physical aspect and then the, the positional aspect. But then I think we could go even maybe a step further if we wanted to, to, to consider some other aspects that kind of flow from those two types of weaknesses. And one one, and I'll just speak plainly with you, has to do with hormones and emotions. Um, now, we all, men and women alike, struggle with hormones and emotions, but the Lord has uniquely given a weakness and a struggle to our wives that men, we need to be cognizant of. We need to be uh, respectful of. We need to pursue in understanding. And often we like to joke about those things and play as though we're victims to uh, a, a monthly turbulent uh, relationship. And there is an aspect that we do struggle with that. But this is an opportunity for us to grow in our understanding of how to be tender and compassionate and loving to our wives in the midst of this struggle that they have that we do not have. Um, it's, that, that's one, one thing. And uh, the other has to do with this position of vulnerability in, in submitting to us as husbands. And if you remember what we, what we looked at when we looked at 1 Peter 3, 1 to 6, we saw that um, God, through Peter, commands wives to submit to their husbands 
even when they're not believers, even if they are not in obedience to the word, even when the leadership that we exercise is less than stellar. Um, and we need to be aware of that fact, that there's, a, there's going to be an implicit fear and anxiety and struggle that our wives have in following our, the leadership that, that the Lord has given us. And so we need, to, we need to be tender and we need to be compassionate, recognizing those things, and, and speak into that rather than pursuing it head on as though we're going to attack rather than come alongside. And so what the Lord's calling us is, is not, to merely, not to merely know our wives, not to merely know facts about our wives, but, but to know them deeply and to, to see them even in the midst of their weakness and to love them even in the midst of the struggles that may not be struggles that we are faced as men, that they'll be faced with different struggles. Now, our culture tries to solve this disparity by saying that there's a, uh, an equality, that there's nothing inherently different between men and women, but our God declares that there is, that, that wives are the, the weaker vessel. And so there is a pressure that our culture puts on women to perform or to be in, in a position of not weakness when God declares that that's what they are. And there's nothing wrong with being in a position of weakness because our, our, our God declares throughout Scripture over and over that we, we ought to boast in our weakness, that God is close to the humble, that He cares for the sojourner and the widow and the orphan the, and, 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 the, and the, the woman who must submit to a husband that is not worthy of being submitted to. The Lord is compassionate to those who are weak. He loves the weak. Um, as, as Psalm 103 says, he says, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He knows us. He knows that we are frail and weak. And and men and women, this is how our God loves us. He, he is our bridegroom. We are His bride. And yet, we are so much more weak than our God that it, it's not even worth comparing. And yet, He is compassionate with us. He is gracious to us. He knows the struggles that we are faced with that, that He will never be faced with. And, and in fact, when in, in sending Christ, that was his ultimate act of trying to know us, to be compassionate to us. For, for Scripture says that Christ is our high priest, like what we just sang in that uh, song of praise. Uh, before the throne of God, we have a high priest whose name is love. Christ became our high priest and he took on human flesh so that he would know our weakness. He would know our struggles, that he would know what we're faced with so that he can properly minister for us on our behalf, so he could be compassionate to us. And so if our heavenly bridegroom entered into our weakness so that he would love us with compassion, husbands, we must do the same thing for our wives as well. 
But Peter doesn't stop there. He says, uh, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. So Peter actually pairs two things. He says, uh, live with understanding as weaker vessels, showing honor as co-heirs with you in the grace of life. So not only are they... uh, by Peter's words, the, the weaker vessel, but they are also co-heirs of the grace of life. Now, in Peter's day, when Peter wrote that wives are the weaker vessel, that would not have been scandalous to the ears of his original hearers. Like I mentioned, they were already marginalized people. But this phrase here where, where Peter is uh, calling wives co-heirs of the grace of life, this would have been shocking to them. Because wives were already in a position of subjection. And what Peter is doing is he's elevating wives. And now putting them on the same plane as their husbands. Saying that insofar as it comes to reception of the grace of God. Or as he says, reception of the grace of life. Our wives are co-heirs. We are are equals when it comes to reception of the gospel of grace. And so the consequence of that. The consequence of them being co-heirs is, Peter says, we must honor them. Honor the woman as the weaker vessel. Now, if you remember from last week, uh, and it's in verse 2 of chapter 3, Peter said that um, wives are to have a respectful and pure conduct. And some of your translations here in verse 7 may say that husbands ought to respect their wives. And it's not the same word that Peter uses in both cases. So you lose a bit of the meaning. In verse 2, the word Peter uses is the word phobos, or from which we get our word phobia, a, a reverent fear uh, that is for both God and the husband from the wife. But here he uses a word that is more appropriately, it's actually two words, uh, giving honor or uh, uh, assigning honor. So it's, it's, a, it's a positive thing where the husband is to now elevate his wife and hold her up as, as honorable because she is equal with him as far as a reception of the grace of life. In, in the Old Testament Hebrew, when you saw the word honor, it was a, it was a word that could also be translated strangely to, be, to make heavy. Um, and the reason being is because they would, they would measure value with scales. And so if you honored something, you made something heavier so that it were, you were lifting up the other side of things. And P- Peter's not writing in Hebrew, but he's influenced by that same Hebrew thought where he's saying that now it's the, the husband's role to elevate to promote, to honor his wife be, and bring her up in, into a position where she is, she is honored, not because of her beauty, not because of her gifts, but because she is a co-heir with him of the grace of life. Um, an illustration that I've heard before, which I think is helpful, maybe not perfect, but helpful, is consider an um, ornate but delicate gla- glass vase. Um, if you had such a thing that was expensive, um, you would take it and you would, you would handle it with care. And you, you wouldn't put it in a closet and, and, you know, with a bunch of your other junk, but you would put it on display because it was, it was valuable, it was honoring. Uh, it's honorable, you wanted to display it 
um, and you wanted to, to promote it. And it's a similar type of thing that Peter is getting to here. The, the, the wife is the weaker vessel, which he now says, uh, and he tre- says, treat with uh, compassion and love, and yet honor her, hold her up, and promote her. Our wives are beautiful vessels, and yet we cannot run roughshod over them. We must be compassionate and gentle with them. We need to show them honor. And this is exactly what our God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We are, we are the weak ones. We are the ones that need to be elevated, and that's exactly what He's done. If you remember what uh, it says in Ephesians chapter 2, it says, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God being rich in His mercy because of the great love that He had for us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up with Him. He elevated us with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. He has has honored us. He has given us an honor that we don't deserve. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. And now he calls us to honor our wives. Or as he also says in the book of Romans. He says the Spirit himself bears with us that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That we have received this grace of life because Christ has shared his inheritance with us. He has made us co-heirs with him very, his very self. We have no right for this inheritance. Our wives have no right for this inheritance. And yet God has lavished his inheritance on us. And he calls us to honor and promote our wives in the same way that he has honored and promoted us. We must show our wives honor. We must never tear them down. We must not focus on promoting ourselves, but promoting our wives, honoring them. We cannot let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but only that which is useful for building them up, that it may benefit those who listen. And I think along those same lines, you ought to see how heinous and how awful abuse and domestic violence are in the midst of this context. If we are called to be gentle and compassionate and treat as the weaker partner and to honor and promote, how could we ever abuse that relationship, either physically or verbally? Husbands, if you are verbally or physically abusing your wife in any way, that must stop immediately. Men, if you are selfishly ruling your wives with a heavy-handed, dictatorial type of approach, you're domineering your husband, that needs to stop now. You need to be compassionate with her. You need to walk alongside her. You need to build her up and love her. The Lord has put you into her life for that very purpose. To love her. To care for her. As His arms. As His warm embrace. As His gentle words of encouragement. These women that the Lord has given us are precious and beautiful in the Lord's sight. 
and we will be held accountable for how we treat them. Woe to you if you use your position of authority for unrighteous gain or for harsh purposes. But repent of it. And if, you, if you're not sure, ask her. If you don't know how your leadership is coming across, humble yourself before her and ask her. She'll tell you. I guarantee it. <laughs> she is called to submit to your leadership. You are called to elevate and honor her and demonstrate the love of Christ to her. And it's, what's interesting is that that's, this is even the case, men, if it happens that your wife is an unbeliever. If you remember when we talked last week, wives were given this command to submit to their husbands even if they were not believers, even if they did not obey the word, that they might be won over without a word. And there's something, there seems to be something similar here in verse 7. Um, what Peter says is, it's hard to see in our English translations. He says, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Um, some commentators believe that the way that Peter wrote this, it's almost, it's, he's saying, as if they are heirs with you in the grace of life. So even if they are not yet heirs with you in the grace of life, he's saying, show them that honor. Treat them as though they are heirs of the grace of life. Live expectantly, honoring them as though they are those heirs. Don't disparage your wives, even if they're unbelievers. Even in that case, honor them, promote them. Live expectantly that the Lord will work through your love to them to break through to their heart. But Peter doesn't stop there. Peter doesn't stop with understanding our wives as the weaker vessel, and even with showing honor, he ends with this bone-chilling threat so that your prayers may not be hindered. Now, unfortunately, many of us men might not really see that as too much of a threat because many of us are not really praying. We're not or when we do pray, we feel like maybe there's already some kind of hindrance in the midst of our prayer because I'm not really seeing a whole lot of effectiveness coming out of our prayers. And yet it is still a threat. And I think there are a few things that we can see in, by virtue of that very, those very words that, that Peter gives us. First of all, Peter's reminding us of the great power and importance that prayer has in the midst of our lives. As James chapter 5 says, that the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. And yet, we neglect that prayer. But secondly, I think what we see is that prayer is a great privilege that we have been granted. We have the right to approach the throne of grace of the Almighty God. We have... We have receive that right because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ who has opened the way to that throne of grace. And Christ has promised that, that those prayers will be heard. In John 14, he said, when you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And in John 5, he's, uh, John writes, and this is the confidence the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And yet, and we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. We have direct communication with the God who loves us and who is working out all his holy will. It is a privilege and a power. And yet, thirdly, what we can see is that this right comes with stipulations. It is by grace that we have been given, granted access, but what God is saying is that depending upon how we act may affect his willingness to listen. He may stop his ears to our prayers and refuse to hear us. And we see, we see a picture of this, a hint of this in Hebrews chapter 5, which is remarkable. And he, the writer of Hebrews says this, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. It doesn't say because he was a son. It doesn't say because he was perfect. He was heard because of his reverence. And so if Christ was heard because of his reverence, there seem, and Peter says, makes a connection and says that how we treat our wives can prevent whether or not we are heard by the Almighty God. It is an issue, my friends, of reverence before the Holy God. If you remember, I've said this over and over, the context of this passage is submitting to our authorities, this, this picture of authority. And it's as if Peter is now connecting one more person in the midst of this subject. It was subject to human institutions, subject to masters, subject to husbands. Husbands, be subject to God. And he lays out this thing like he did in, in the passage about servants where he said, he said um, what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it if you endure? Don't sin and you'll be beaten for it. Don't suffer needlessly. And now he says to husbands, don't suffer needlessly. Honor your wives. Treat them with understanding so that your prayers may not be hindered. Let's not suffer needlessly. And we would truly suffer if our communication to the Almighty God would be cut off. He doesn't say what kinds of prayers would be hindered. Is this all prayers? Is this all prayers? Where would we turn if we need wisdom? If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives graciously to all without finding fault. But if God says, no, I am not listening to you, are we without wisdom? The Lord promises to deliver us from our enemies when we cry out to Him. If we need deliverance from our enemies and we cry out to Him and He says, sorry, I'm not listening. Who We're called to cast our anxieties and our fears onto the Lord for He cares for us. Onto whom would we cast our fears and anxieties? Who would hear our prayers of repentance and confession for other sins? That ought to terrify us. It's like, you know, when you go to some remote place and you pull out your phone and you see no signal and you're like, oh boy, I hope I don't need to contact anybody. Peter's saying we could get a, a no signal from the only one who hears. And that ought to terrify us. And that ought to remind us of the importance that the Lord places on how we live as husbands. How we love our wives. That it is of utmost importance. 
And ladies, please, wives, please see how tenderly and perfectly your Lord loves you. He is promising to hold your husbands accountable for how they lead you. There is fear and anxiety in submitting to a man who is a sinner. But the Lord is saying, I will hold him accountable. And men, could it be that in these cases, the reason the Lord, your prayers are hindered is because what the Lord is hearing is from their, your wives. Oh Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If your, your heavenly Father is consumed with the cries of your wife, your prayers, Peter is saying, may be hindered. And so we must live in reverent fear. Reverent fear before our God who urges us to love our wives even as He loves them as His precious daughters. Um, we will be held accountable and recognize, recognize the grace and the love and the compassion that you have received. And it's, it's like that verse where Jesus says, if you are unwilling to forgive after having received this great forgiveness, then there's no more forgiveness for you. I think there's a similar pattern here that if we reject the grace and the love and the compassion that we have received from Jesus Christ and we fail to live that out, there's a threat of what, what will come for us. I urge you to take it seriously because God takes it seriously. And yet, friends, in the midst of this warning, in the midst of this warning, there is still hope. There is still hope. Because we are members of the body of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And our husband-to-be, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our great high priest. And he was and is heard because of his reverence. And he, the high priest, is sitting and praying for us even now. Even when our prayers are hindered, men. Our, heaven, our, our, our gracious Savior, His prayers are never hindered. And He is praying for you. He is praying for your humility. He is praying for an effectiveness of His Word to transform your marriage. He is praying for a restoration of your marriage. He's praying that you would fix your eyes on the perfection of your heavenly bridegroom and that that would transform how you love your wife day in and day out. His prayers are never hindered. And so we must follow in his pattern. We must love our wives as he loves us. Now some days... Someday soon, friends, hopefully not too soon, I will have the privilege and the honor of giving my daughters away in marriage. And um, we haven't planned the wedding yet. <laughs> but there's a good chance that when we do that dad and daughter dance, if we do have dancing, that there's a song that may play, which the chorus goes something like this. I loved her first, I held her first, and a place in my heart will always be hers. From the first breath she breathed, when she first smiled at me, I knew the love of a father runs deep. And I prayed that she'd find you someday, 
but it's still hard to give her away. I loved her first. Friends, husbands, your wives were first loved by their heavenly father and his heart still beats with tender compassion and tender protection for his daughters. He loves and he cares for her and he cares for you and he sent his son to become like us to know us to be compassionate to us to honor us and to lay down his life for us so that we could do the very same thing for our wives men may we love our wives with the strength strength and love of Christ himself out of love honor and submission of our heavenly bridegroom and out of respect for our Heavenly Father who loves us so tenderly and so perfectly. Let's pray together. Oh, gracious God, we thank you for speaking into our lives and shining lights, shining a light into the midst of our marriage. These past two weeks, Father, you've given us an immense task, loving our wives, even as Christ loves the church, submitting to our husbands, even as the church submits to Christ. We cannot do this were it not for the fact that Christ has already done this for us and has given us his Holy Spirit to change us and to transform us. Father, we do pray that you would do just that. You would transform our marriages. Help us to love, honor, and respect each other, to grow in our love for each other even as we grow in love for you. And may you be pleased to reflect the love of Christ even in the midst of our marriages. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.